was quite an unsettling surprise for Swedenborg when he learned that spirits could read his thoughts. But he soon learned that this inner knowledge was fundamental to our connection to heaven. When an angel knows you at your deepest level, they are better equipped to help you connect to love. Here we are inside Off the Left Eye. This week, Curtis and I dig into Act 4 of our spirit story and learn about baptism and the Holy Supper. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose shares three insights into the nature of life after death and how angels can know us better than we know ourselves. Then we travel to 1764, when Swedenborg gave a freshly printed copy of his newest work, Divine Providence, to a mystery person this week in history. Hey, Curtis Childs. Hey, what's going on, Chelsea? Well, you know, I am excited to be here for Act 4. Four. This is the only of our spirit stories where we have an act four, because this one's been quite a journey. And so I'm excited yeah. to to explore that with you. I think it's they're just cashing in with the popularity, doing a fourth <laughs> yes, act here. Right, stretch it out. And this, you know, the first act way back when, there we met these spirits who were longing for clarity about truth. And then these angels appeared to them. This is a quick, you know, review. And then the angels offered to not only answer their questions about truth, but then go give them some more about teachings on repentance and how we have eternal souls. And and then last time in Act 3, we learned about regeneration from these angels and this whole interesting idea about needing to act on our own, like on our own initiative, but understanding and believing how, you know, we're acting with the help of God and God's the source of everything good and true. And so now for act four, we promised that we would hear from the angels about baptism. And that is exactly where we begin. So you ready right, for this? Let's do it. All right. Yeah. So act four on the topic of baptism, the angels said, Baptism is a spiritual washing, which is reformation and regeneration. A child is reformed and regenerated when, having become an adult, he or she does the things the godparents promised on his or her behalf. There are two such promises in baptism, repentance and faith in God. And I want to just pause there for a second because already, first, the whole mention of godparents and baptism, I just think you know, there's many different variations of the same sort of core ritual, right? So it's interesting to be hearing from angels. Like, I'd want to know what what angel baptism is. You know, what do they think of when they're thinking of baptism exactly? Yeah. Um, and if you're an angel, is your godparent God? Yes, right. <laughs> right. Like, do you really, how many levels are there between you and a literal godparent? Yeah. And... And interesting that baptism be- gets on this list because I'm realizing we had just, you know, the earlier topics were repentance and regeneration. And here they're saying baptism is a spiritual washing. Like they're not, you know, like they're talking about it in the context of the ritual, but they're saying the real heart of it is what we've just told you, reformation and regeneration. So that's an interesting spin sort of right out of the gate right. there. So. 
It goes on. The godparents promise first that the child will renounce the devil and all his works, and second, that the child will believe in God. All children in heaven are initiated into these two practices. And so they say a little bit more about that, but all children in heaven are initiated into these two practices makes me think there's maybe not the ritual in heaven, you know, or are they saying, you know, or do they, it says they get initiated into these two practices, but is that sort of what baptism is there? Yeah, really, that it's just about, it's about the content and there there may be not the same kind of necessary container for it or, or prompt to do it. Or maybe it's just like a kid, a kid here on earth can't get into that complex re- renouncing the devil, believing in God's stuff, but in heaven, a kid can because of the, yes. the quicker development of the soul and the better education services there or something. Yeah, the renouncing of the devil and believing in God. You know, of course, we do that. But it's interesting to think that when you're teaching your kids that you're in effect baptizing them. Right. So so he goes. they go on about these children in heaven. Although to them, the children in heaven, the devil is hell and God is the Lord. For another thing, baptism is a sign to the angels that someone belongs to the church. And, you know, we've talked about, we have our show that we did recently on baptism and the Holy Supper. And so the whole concept of church being sort of the, you know, I could think of that as being the big concept of sort of all of heaven or even a member of a certain community of heaven or something. Yeah, it's this interesting tension in my mind anyway when... I hear Swedenborg, and it's really encapsulated right here, Yeah, that you have this ritual of baptism, which they're saying, look, we, 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 it's all about what that signifies, which is the work of regeneration or of yeah. loving the Lord and, and disliking hell. But then you turn around and say, getting baptized tells us you're in our church, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which seems to indicate that the ritual itself has a, a spiritual effect. So I'm sure I could get it if I was there and could ask a couple questions, but it, it, it is like a little opaque to me. Yes. So interesting. So when they had heard all this, some from the group said, we understand. A voice was heard off to the side, however, that shouted, we don't understand. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that we've been in this, like, we have been in it, you know, learning from these angels for a long time. And now suddenly... It's like we're broken out of that spell of just learning. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're in this spiritual world. And there's like spirits randomly calling out, hey, we don't understand. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, so we know there's this group. Some are saying we understand. Some say we don't understand. And another voice shouted, we don't want to understand. (laughs) So there's some honesty. (laughs) Someone went to. I'm sorry, but it just just right there, that phenomenon of spiritual world involuntary. (laughs) truthfulness yes, right. makes me think of some really beloved um, ed- people of advanced age that I've known, oh. like significantly advanced age, yes. where you're going to take them to a restaurant and you're just not sure what they're going to say to the server because they <laughs> yes. just they just blurt stuff out. Yes. And it, it's almost like maybe because they're approaching the spiritual world where they're just right. like, you just say what you think. Yep. Be on the outside what you are on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Someone went to find out who those voices came from, 
and learned that they came from people who had convinced themselves of false beliefs and who wanted to be trusted in as oracles and worshipped on that account. Okay. Don't be surprised at that, the angel said. There are a tremendous number of people like that these days. From our point of view in heaven, they look like sculptures skillfully made in such a way that the lips can move and they can make sounds as if they were alive. They are unaware, however, of whether the breath that supports their sound comes from hell or heaven, because they don't know whether what they are saying is false or true. They reason and reason and provide one supporting argument after another, but cannot tell at all whether something is true or not. It's important to be aware that human ingenuity can provide arguments to support any assertion it wants, even to the point that the assertion appears to be true. Heretics have this ability, godless people too. In fact, atheists are able to argue that there is no god except nature alone. And <laughs> that's just uh, interesting because uh, I feel very aware of that point, you know. Like, there's a lot of arguments now. You can find them on YouTube of people arguing that God doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a little more shocking to, right. to Victorian ears or whatever ears this yes. in Swedenborg's day. The Enlightenment era, yeah. So after that, the group of English spirits, these were the original guys, was stirred with a desire for wisdom. They said to the angels, there is such a wide range of opinions on the Holy Supper. Tell us what the truth is. Wow. So they're going on. And they are stirred with this desire for wisdom. The truth is, the angels replied, that through that most holy act, people who turn to the Lord and practice repentance form a partnership with the Lord and become part of heaven. Some in the group said, that is a mystery. It is a mystery, the angels replied, but one that can be understood nevertheless. I love that definition of a mystery. Like, yeah, it's a myth. That's, that's that same both and. It's a mystery but it's one that can yeah. be understood. It's a mystery, but it's you can solve it. Yeah. Yes. So they go on. Bread and wine do not produce this effect. There is nothing holy about them, but physical bread and spiritual bread have a mutual correspondence. So do physical wine and spiritual wine. Spiritual bread is holy love, and spiritual wine is holy faith. Each is from the Lord, and each is the Lord. Therefore, a partnership of the Lord with us and of us with the Lord comes about not through the bread and wine, but through the love and faith in the individual who has practiced repentance. To join in a partnership with the Lord is also to become part of heaven. So again, that's just like such a compact and very clear uh, sense of the Holy Supper to me. Yeah, and it points in a similar direction. Uh, that the baptism does? Yeah. So after the angels taught them, oh, this is amazing. After the angels taught them something about correspondences, some in the group said, now for the first time, we can understand this too. So, but we don't get to hear what the teaching about correspondences was. <laughs> we just Hey, <laughs> that's one I want to hear. I know. We got that edited out. Come on. And so then when they said that, to my surprise, something flame-like from heaven, so here we've got our grand finale, something flame-like from heaven came down with light and united them with the angels, and the angels and the spirits felt love for each other. 
<laughs> that's the end. Well, that's a happy ending. <laughs> I know. That's a twist. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Well, I mean, it kind of reminds you that love and wisdom go together. Yes. That that's, that that's the outcome. Here we are teaching and teaching and learning and learning. And in the end, I love you. I love you, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and it's just interesting that that uh, is part of some mechanical progression mm-hmm. that that is coming down and, and the, some threshold has been crossed. And so the flame-like thing comes. And interesting that this is totally the, the doctrine of, you know, love and wisdom are substances because this yes. flame-like thing, which was an object, a spiritual object, allowed for something that you think of as not being a thing, love, to happen. Yes. But that's great. That's it's, it's a turn. I didn't see that turn coming, but it leaves me feeling good. I know it does. Well, so that's quite a nice, happy ending to our spirit story. I know the last spirit story we explored with the hollowed out heads ended with quite a dark turn. So this one is a nice, surprising, uh, happy ending with love. And so, gosh, thanks so much for coming along, Curtis. Oh, man. Well, I loved it. And... Uh, I, I think it's just cool to end on that note of th- that the purpose of all that teaching was to do kindness. And so you see that exemplified in the end, that that's, yes. that's where it's headed, that that's, that's the flavor of the whole thing. It's not just like, okay, well, fine, I'll, I'll tell you what this, the, the secrets are. The angels are kind of leading them in their mind till they kind of get it and they can like get it, have it in their heart, you know, really feel it. Yeah. And then that's then they've arrived, you know, then it's been accomplished. Um, Awesome. Thanks for having me along. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Well, so one announcement is this was our last for the time being spirit stories. And we've explored a bunch and maybe they'll come around again sometime. But starting next week for the podcast, we are going to be having a new uh, feature, which will be for, this is me announcing it to you too, Curtis, we're going to <laughs> go into, you know, our archive of the shows that never were made. You know, like we've always had these sort of topic brainstorms over time of, uh, you know, ideas for shows of content for the YouTube channel. And uh, there's definitely longer lists of ideas than there are, you know, of the shows that ultimately get created. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of go through and explore and maybe in, you know, 10 minutes of the podcast, we can explore the ideas, even if they never quite made it off the ground into a fully produced episode. So that's a good idea. Yeah. So that'll be fun. I'm excited about it. Super fun. Yes. And so for right now, though, I look forward to catching up with you at the end of the show to see where Swedenborg was this week in history. All right. See you soon. So we will see where Swedenborg was and what he was up to this week in history at the end of the show. But first, here I am at the desk of the NCE, the New Century Edition translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg with none other than the series editor of that translation, Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, how are you doing? Good. I'm always delighted to be here to get to hear what new you know, ideas that you're coming across in your editing work and to hear about the insights that come from them for you. So 
what do you have for us this week? Well, there's uh, three fun passages that I've encountered. I've been sweeping through the whole of Secrets of Heaven, Volume 3, rereading it uh, as it gets finalized. And uh, I think I overheard Curtis talking about involuntary truthfulness, people who <laughs> <laughs> suffer from age-related honesty or something. <laughs> Which and, we all um, get to look forward to in the afterlife. That's no. <laughs> right. Well, uh, Swedenborg does talk about uh, the fact that uh, it's an honest world after death, and the Bible even says this. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of Luke, uh, Jesus says that, you know, what what you say in the closet will pre- be proclaimed from the rooftops and all that. I don't have it in yes, front of me, but, yeah. but that there'll be uh, nothing will be hidden. And uh, Swedenborg takes this as a reference to the nature of the life after death. And so he talks about this in section 1931, which is about uh, where an angel asks Hagar what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And he comments, in the word, it's common for Jehovah. Uh, he explains that the angels are often standing in for the Lord. And in the text, in the Hebrew text, is yes. a word that he transliterates Jehovah. It's common for Jehovah to ask people questions and for them to respond, even though he already knows the answer. <laughs> he knows not only what has happened, but also the reasons and the purposes. In other words, all the deepest, most minute particulars involved. Mm. But we human beings are unaware of this. Hmm. We don't know that God has that knowledge. And he goes on, and believe that no one can have any idea of the things we do in secret, unseen. Hmm. So we really, we're like little children thinking we're we're fooling somebody, you know, that if nobody can see us with their physical eyes, then no one has any idea what we're doing. Uh, and then he adds, still less what we are thinking. Uh-huh. So the asking of these questions is adapted to our preconceptions. Still, the truth of the matter is that ordinary spirits were not <laughs> Just very, the ordinary ones. <laughs> just the ordinary ones, not high on the hierarchy of things in the spiritual world. Ordinary spirits have a better idea of what we are thinking than we do ourselves. Oh, man. Wow. Wow. Angelic spirits, which is a step above them, pick up on deeper aspects of our thoughts, and angels, a still higher level, pick up still deeper aspects, our reasons and purposes, which we know little of. (laughs) This fact I have learned from a great deal of experience occurring constantly over many years. If spirits and angels perceive all this, what about the Lord, who is infinite and gives mm. all of us our ability to perceive? Wow. So this brings several things to mind. Uh, one is that passage uh, that you and I and Curtis talked about a while ago, where Swedenborg has a thought and then the spirit responds to his thought, and he's yes. shocked. You know, this is yes. early on in his transition that he's shocked that the spirit knows his thinking. Uh, he had really believed that himself up to that point that his thoughts are just his own private world. And what yeah. does anybody know about it? I think he had the idea that God knows, but not that sp- just even ordinary spirits yes. <laughs> know more about. And it's, it's so funny to me, too, because I keep thinking about child raising and, and um, oh. <laughs> you'll ask a child, you know, why did you do that? And they just look at you like, 
You think I have the slightest idea why I did You know, I don't oh, know why, that's why funny. I did that. So about 500 numbers later, there's another passage that sounds like it's just absolutely in continuity with what hmm. we just read. Uh, Swedenborg says straight up, stop believing then that your thoughts are secret. <laughs> it just shocked me when I read it. Like, yeah. just stop it. <laughs> just give it up. Yeah. And then he says, expect to be called to account for your thinking and also for your deeds so far as they embody the nature of your thinking. Mm. And then he explains, our deeds derive their quality from our thoughts and our thoughts from our goals. Mm. Uh, so there's an emphasis here on our thinking. And we do get used to in this world, the idea that nobody really knows what we're thinking and we have privacy at that level. Yeah. Uh, and he almost makes the deeds secondary, you know, uh, your deeds as far as they embody your thinking. Your thinking, yes. You know, that was a reflection of your thinking that you that you did that. And I don't think it's necessary. It sounds kind of scary when you first hear it. But Swedenborg tells of experiences where angels challenged him about his views of the Trinity and yeah. uh, he just kind of makes a case for, look, oh, this yeah. is how I hold it. And, you know, so it's not necessarily that you're going to be condemned on that basis, uh, but that just be ready to explain your thinking because it's going to happen. And the final passage here is back to um, number 1941, uh, which relates to the parable of the sower and this idea that the Lord is always sowing these seeds of truth in us and hoping that they'll grow. Mm -hmm. uh, this really struck me what he says about it here. Swedenborg says, If we're motivated by good, that is by love and charity, the seed that the Lord plants becomes fruitful and multiplies so rapidly mm. that it becomes too abundant to count. And then he has a hedge on that, as he often does. And he says, yeah. well, while we're living in the body, this does not apply. But in the next mm. life, it is true to an unbelievable degree. As long as we're still living in our bodies, the seed rests in bodily ground where it lies among tangled thickets of facts and pleasures, mm. cares and worries. These fall away, however, when we cross into the other world and the seed is freed from them. It mm. then grows the way the seed of a tree does, sprouting from the earth, developing into a sapling, then into a large tree, and finally multiplying into a whole grove of trees. All knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, along with the joy and happiness that accompany them, bear fruit and multiply this way, and so keep growing to eternity. Hmm. And then at the end, he says, um, the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom that angels have were incomprehensible to them when they were on earth. Oh, wow. And that last point is fun because it's sort of the opposite of cognitive decline, isn't it? Yeah, right. It's not that what awaits us is, oh, our memory goes and then we can't really think straight and so on. <laughs> Well, what he's talking about is that this knowledge and wisdom and understanding just grow uh, to uh, almost ridiculous 
yeah. degree and not so much in this world because it's lying in this sort of tangled thicket <laughs> of all the stuff we have to deal with in this world and the flesh and everything. <laughs> but that is just getting ready to explode when we go to the other world. So I don't know. I found that a very uplifting thought. Yes. So it's really something to think about that, that there's really no limit you know, no matter how many trees you already have in your consciousness, there could be yeah. more, many more. You know, it, there, there's nothing really to impede that growth. And it's so typical of the Lord's uh, boundless love to just give us this little mustard seed, this tiny little yeah. thing that you don't really think is anything yet. But <laughs> it's not inert. It, it's a It's a living thing, and it has this almost unlimited potential. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. And that was really such interesting ideas to think about. I I feel like it all affirms for me this idea of uh, how much when we're alive in this world, it's that appearance versus reality. You know, we're always working in this world of appearances, and we have to just keep affirming the reality, even though we don't... It, we have no sense that anybody can know our thoughts or we don't have this sense that we're bound to grow infinitely after death with this, you know, expansiveness of love and wisdom. And so it's it's comforting and inspiring to have that reminder through through this little visit with you. Awesome. Well, all right. Well, will you come now with me to join up with Curtis to see where Swedenborg was this week in history? I'd love to. All right, let's go. All right, Curtis and Jonathan, hey. Hello. Hey. Here we are, and we're going to get in our time machine and travel back to the year 1764. It's not a period of Swedenborg's life that we've spent much time in yet in the podcast. Uh, and interestingly, in terms of the timeline of his publishing, he had just published, well, we have the famous Shorter Works of 1763, that happened in 1763. Uh, can you rattle them off for me, Jonathan? <laughs> yes, the Lord, Sacred Scripture, Life, Faith, Supplements, and then they were immediately followed by Divine Love and Wisdom and rolling into the next year, Divine Providence. That's right. So that Divine Providence falls into 1764. And this week in history, uh, being a little bit loose with the term of this week, because on June 21st, 1764, we know that Swedenborg gave a copy of Divine Love and Wisdom and Divine Providence to somebody. <laughs> so this, this maybe doesn't sound very remarkable, but it is because uh, not only this is one of these copies that has, you know, come to our time where you can look on the title page um, and it says, well, first it lists the um, whose library it comes from, E. Libris J. Phillips, this J. Phillips that we could talk a bit about a little later. And then at the bottom of the page, it says, presented by the author, Swedenborg, the 21st of June, 1764. So there's, it's just this little bit of evidence, but it shows that Swedenborg was out there giving his books away to people. 
Right. And it also shows, because Swedenborg puts a year on the title page, he obviously doesn't put a a month or a day, and there are no prefaces that say, you know, give you some idea when the book was completed. What, for publishing the book? Like what? Right. Yep. Yep. Right. For publishing, all it says is 1764. So this date is the earliest date that we have. It, it shows that for sure Swedenborg published it in the spring of 1764. And it's the kind of thing that it just feels to me like hot off the press. You know, he goes around with the new copies and giving copies to people. Yes, because he was busy in 1763, like we just heard. And so then that really did just carry right on into 1764. And as soon as the thing is ready, he's out there giving it away to people. But some interesting historical evidence related to this particular volume is, one, these two works, Divine Love and Wisdom and Divine Providence, which were published separately, this copy is they're bound together in one volume. But then not only that, Divine Providence comes first before Divine Love and Wisdom. So they're in the opposite order of their publication. And I want to mention that uh, the New Century Edition released its purple back deluxe volume of Divine Love and Wisdom and Divine Providence together bound in one volume. So was that it sounds like, do you think that was something Swedenborg did for this volume? Yes. There, there are a couple of things that give us that impression. One is simply how much the two works talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, the whole beginning of Divine Providence does nothing but refer you back to material that was already covered in Divine Love and Wisdom. And it's interesting that when Swedenborg talks in the preface to the work The Lord, which started to be published in... Uh, like the early fall of 1763, he's still thinking at that point, as he had been in earlier lists, that he was going to do Divine Providence first and then Divine Love and Wisdom last. Oh, he would but suggest that, yeah. Somehow in a couple of months in there, he changed his mind and hmm. did Divine Love and Wisdom first, realizing, oh, no, I really need to do this first so that you can understand what I'm saying in Divine Providence and flip them around. Uh, so it's interesting that they were bound the other way around with this, what was originally the first book that became the second book. Yes. <laughs> it's like the twins in the Old Testament or something, and they're changing <laughs> yeah. places. The other thing is that he had an experience uh, where he saw his those two books bound together as one book in the spiritual world. Uh, and wow. he talks about that in one of his uh, memorable occurrences. Uh, narrative accounts of his ex spiritual experiences. And so... But doesn't uh, he say that thought, spiritual things aren't as heavy as physical things? So maybe <laughs> right. that's why they can get, <laughs> away, get with away with it. it. You can get away with it in the spiritual world, yeah. There's no problem <laughs> binding that together. It was still on a table, so it was well supported <laughs> yeah. in the spiritual world. And uh, <laughs> the... Um, so we decided to do those two books together on the strength of that. We're currently in the course of actually separating them. I hope we aren't doing anything, you know, profane, yeah. uh, but we're going to present them as two separate volumes going forward because we were a little surprised by how thick and heavy that volume turned out to be. Oh, it's a treasure. I love it. And now it's becoming a collector's item. <laughs> That's so right. great. And 
it's it makes me think of how Swedenborg, you know, the the shorter works of 1758 were sort of like this, you know, several gates to secrets of heaven. You know, he would he's kind of collating and focusing on certain subject matter that he's referencing back to secrets of heaven uh, all the time. So it's like, well, right. First, you read one of those works and then it's like, oh, where does this come from? OK, you go dig into secrets of heaven, um, you know, that multi-volume work. And so it's interesting that in this bound volume, it's like you're presented first with divine providence, which is kind of like, all right, get to the punchline or something. Like, here's the information. And then like, all right, you want to know what foundation this is literally sitting on? Here's divine love and wisdom if you really want to, you know, understand where I'm coming from. And he can, by by binding them in that order, sort of say like, see, I I told you I was going to do divine providence first. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Time and and space is of no account. I was right. And yeah. You'd never know it from the title, but Divine Providence to me is one aspect of it is almost a self-help book kind of thing. Um, In other words, there's a recipe in there for how to do what we were just talking about, examine your thoughts, examine your feelings. Uh, There's sort of a how-to in there, whereas Divine Love and Wisdom gets way into the structure of the universe and the nature of what lies behind what manifests as the spiritual sun. And, you know, it's uh, out there. It's it's beautiful. Uh, but it's fun how in Divine Providence it comes right down. It, it, he defines Divine Providence as the government of the Lord's divine love and wisdom. So it's sort of it's how love and wisdom oh, shape yeah. our day-to-day existence. Isn't it kind oh. of like... Those two books are an example of love and wisdom because divine love and wisdom is the oh. underlying essence and divine providence is the manifestation. So the love and the <laughs> I <that> like truth. that. <laughs> the essay That's and cool. existere. Those are those Latin words. And it is useful for anybody listening, you know, because Swedenborg has 18 published theological works and divine love and wisdom and divine providence really, they are paired together. They are twins, like you said. So it's it's kind of just they kind of stand out to me because they have such a different quality than some of his other works. Uh, and it's just, I mean, Divine Providence happens to be my favorite, I think, of all of his works. And so it's cool and, and to, it's, yeah. It's so true. They they have a different um, audience. I, I put forward this argument in the um, introduction to the Shorter Works of 1763 that they're aimed at a, a different audience than the books that had just come out in 1763, yeah. but most of those were for the clergy, it seems like. But these were much more for the thinkers, um, you know, for people with a different mindset or not buried in the theology and all that. Um, and so it's interesting to me that he bound them together and gave yeah. them to whomever it was. Yes. <laughs> uh, because I think he anticipated a different audience for those works. The record of people who have analyzed it, um, and especially have analyzed that handwriting of not only the written thing where it says it's the library of J. Phillips, but then also the presented by the author, um, the, the researchers don't think that either of those handwriting is Swedenborg's himself. Uh, and but somebody wrote down, oh, this was given by the author to me on this date, you know, twenty first of June, seventeen sixty four, and the two don't match 
uh, each other. So there's sort of a mystery there that we don't know who Jay Phillips is, if that just means this book eventually got into his library. Right. Or who this volume was actually first given to. Divine Love and Wisdom and Divine Providence were published in Amsterdam. And at this point, Swedenborg was still in Amsterdam. If it really is hot off the press and he's giving this book, well, I don't know if maybe he would have mailed a copy, but if he's handing this bound book to somebody on June 21st, it's somebody in Amsterdam. That certainly would be the first round of distribution because a little bit later he goes to um, Denmark and gives copies to King Frederick V and then goes to Sweden and gives copies to the royal family there and many other people. I think he arrives in Sweden in very early August, if memory serves, and then a week later dines with the king. Uh, So I think that's in August. So, you know, we're not sure what happened in between there, but it seems like sometime in July he was in uh, Copenhagen. Okay. A mystery this week. Not only this fascinatingly exact date of June 21st, 1764, when Swedenborg gave this copy of a bound copy of Divine Providence and Divine Love and Wisdom to this person, but also, you know, then the mystery of who that person was, who the lucky recipient was who got that gift. And certainly Swedenborg was astronomically tuned in enough to know that the 21st or thereabouts is the um, summer solstice. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that someone would note that not just say June, but that particular day in June. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was also the time of year when, when it got, from about May onward, you could start to travel. So he'd been in Amsterdam, w- wintered in Amsterdam, seeing these books through the press. And now he's ready to hit the road and get the books out there. Yes. Oh, it's so interesting. So I, I love these little uh historical travels with you both so thanks curtis and jonathan for going on this trip this week thanks so much for having us good fun we are closing out this episode with a swedenborg inspired song if you have a swedenborg inspired song you'd like us to share you can email us at off the left eye at gmail.com If you submit your song that way and give us permission, we would love to showcase your Swedenborg-inspired music. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. You're the best audience a podcast could ever have, so thank you for listening. Subscribe to the podcast to never miss when a new episode comes out. And we could not do what we do without your support. You can become part of our growing network of supporters by going to offtheleftei.com slash donate and making a contribution. This week, we're sharing the newest release of the project Songs of Swedenborg by the musician and songwriter Jim Murdoch. His newest song is called World of Spirit, and it samples the voice of Curtis Childs in an expansive and exuberant reflection on the reality of life after death. Check the description of this episode to learn more about the Songs of Swedenborg project and where you can get this track. Jim has it set up so that 50% of sales of this track goes to support Off the Left Eye. We are so grateful. So 
I'm Chelsea Odner, and I look forward to being with you next week inside Off the Left Eye. But until then, here's World of Spirit by Jim Murdoch. Enjoy the music. Amazing sights can be seen by the Lord's light in heaven. So many of them that they could never be listed. These sights consist of one scene after another representing the Lord and his kingdom. The world of spirit, life is infinite. The world of spirit, we are born again. The skies are living in the world of spirit. Souls being introduced to heaven are taken first of all to the paradisal gardens. States of mind will be unfolding, unfolding all our dreams and hopes within. Thoughts with me. Love is to each other, my brother. Amazing signs that to be seen. To bring the world of It is the pleasure of doing something that is of use to oneself and to others, and the pleasure in being useful takes its essence from love and its expression from wisdom. Constructed as houses in our world are, but are given them by the Lord gratis, to each individual according to his or her acceptance of what is good and true. They also change slightly in response to the changes of state of their deeper nature. Heaven becomes more perfect as more people enter it. 
This is because the way it is put together, the structure that governs all its societal patterns and communications, is the most perfect of all.